Hi, and welcome to the very first episode of Sepad Pod of 2023. Still feels a little bit strange to be saying that, but we're getting used to it as January is plowing on. I'm very delighted that today we're joined by one of our very special fellows, someone who's done some really fantastic work and is the editor of a wonderful new report. I'm joined today by Javier Guirado. Javier is someone who's contributed a great deal to CEPAD in the past year or two. Uh, He's a PhD candidate at Georgia State University, a visiting doctoral researcher at the Orient Institute in Beirut, which is where we are speaking with him today, and one of our fellows. His work explores the historically changing relation between society, urban space, and narratives of modernity in the Gulf. It's really fascinating stuff, and I'm absolutely delighted that we're kicking off 2023 with one of our own. Javi, Javier, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, and thanks for that very kind introduction. It's the least that uh, that I can do. I, I stand by everything that I've said. I'm really delighted that we're we're kicking this off with with you, Javi. Um, we're ostensibly going to be talking about this wonderful report that you've just edited, which is titled "The Political Economy of Infrastructure in the Middle East and North Africa." But before we get there, I think it's useful to to maybe just have a little bit of a, a contextualization about you and your work, which is really fascinating, really provocative. And you've been, I think, probably you've run up the largest number of air miles of anyone that I know <laughs> since I met you, um, which is probably a testament to the huge amount of archival work that you've been doing. So maybe um, just tell us a little bit about about what it is that you're you're researching right now. I mean, why are you in Beirut? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, no, too, too many too many flights I've taken <laughs> in, in 2022 and there's, you know, still a few that I have to catch in, in 2023. I'm a bit over it, but, you know, <laughs> every, you everything imagine. for research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm here because I'm, I'm doing some archival and, you know, text uh, research for my for my dissertation project, which is about uh, Qatar in the in the 50s, 60s, and, and 70s, like right before independence in, in 1971. And the reason why I'm in Beirut, I'm, I mean, I'm a fellow at the Orient Institute, as you mentioned, and there was, I mean, in Beirut, every, everyone has been in, in to Beirut for one reason or another, and particularly in the 50s and, and 60s where there was this, you know, political... Uh, dynamics happening in 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 the city um and as a result of that there's just so many remains everyone that came here wrote a memoir or left some you know pamphlets and documents or posters uh that are now accessible either at the Orient institute or at the american university of beirut which has a massive collection of of, of all these things and archives um, and I'm finding it really, really informative, not just for my, my dissertation, but also for the, you know, different side projects um, that you've mentioned and, and that I'm also trying to deal with. So you're a historian. I guess so. I work at a history department. Yeah. Uh, so social historian, I think that, that, that works for, for my approach. I mean, 
I, I'm getting my PhD in uh, uh, it's a history program, but my background is a little bit different. I did. I mean, I was a high school teacher before getting into this uh-huh. journey into academia. Um, I did Spanish literature and linguistics as an undergrad. Then I got my master's in area studies, whatever that means. <laughs> and then I got into this this program, this PhD program in, in history. So I guess technically I'm a, I'm a historian right now. I definitely take a, a social history approach to what I do. But, you know, I've been I've been here and there and my training has been, uh, let's say, has crossed some disciplines, at least. Just a few, I think, which is one <laughs> of the, the reasons why I think your work is so fascinating, that it, it's engaging with so many different types of questions and looking at the the, the intersection of, of all of those different um, different lines of inquiry. I've got to ask, though, Javi, why did you give up your promising career as a as a teacher to to, to go into the, the murky world of the academy? It was, I mean, I really enjoyed teaching uh, and I'm still teaching at, at, at you know, college level. I'm, I'm yeah. teaching undergrad uh, right now. Um, but I've always loved doing research and like reading things and, and writing about it and finding that specific thing that no one has written about or that some people have written about, but you don't quite agree with what they've done and, and you know, getting immersed immersed in the literature of a topic that I find that really fascinating. And and even if you know these years have been flying a little bit too much, I also find really amusing having to go to this place or the other to try to talk to this person that was part of some movement or event that you're trying to uh, to dive into. That that's really fun and and. I mean, I was trying to to find funding in in Spain to get my my PhD, and eventually I, I found um, a fantastic advisor at Georgia State, uh, and I got into the, the PhD program there. So, so that I didn't like uh, teaching uh, in high school, but that was just teaching, and there's all the stuff that I that I like to do, and uh, and I think a PhD and hopefully an academic career <laughs> after will so. will let me do. I would certainly hope so, given the the huge amount that you have to contribute based on what you've you've already done. Um that that's really interesting then that that it was essentially your your intellectual curiosity that that brought you back in. <laughs> but of all of the things that you could have gone into, where did this interest in in social history, urban politics, um yeah. urban transformation, infrastructure, where did all of that come from? So I think the I, I think there's two uh, parts uh, or, or two answers for that for that question. I think particularly regarding all the urban sphere and urban spaces and infrastructural um, things that I that I deal with in in my work, it's just because I, I walk everywhere. <laughs> when I was when I was you know growing up in Madrid or mm-hmm. going to school in Madrid, when I moved to the U.S., which is a very different urban urban situation, yes, I walk yes. everywhere, and I think when you walk. Uh, you realize many things that are supposed to be for pedestrians or are not, and and the infrastructure created created around it. And also, you realize that walking is free, and other forms of navigating the city or or spaces in general, like cars or public mm-hmm. transportation or something, require some type of investment. And you see how that changes the how daily life is. And I think that's always been a curiosity of of, of mine, but. Now that I'm doing uh, research, 
in, in a more academic or scholarly fashion, I think that plays out in in what I do. But regarding uh, the Gulf, which is what I mostly do, or the Middle East in general, um, I think it was because when I was getting my master's in, in again, uh, Middle East studies or or I don't remember what's exactly the the title of the of the master's degree, but something like that. Very memorable. Uh, I wrote a paper. <laughs> I remember I wrote a paper about the World Cup in Qatar, way before. Uh, uh, you know that was twenty sixteen, seventeen, something like that. And I remember, you know, finding a country that I didn't know much about. I don't think many people in in, in Spain or in Europe or or in the West in general knew much about. Well, Qatar, maybe something about uh, the UAE or Dubai specifically, which had a you know more of a of a, of a name everywhere. But Qatar was still a bit of a mystery. So I was looking into the the, the whole infrastructure program that they had designed for the, for the World Cup, the the different um, venues that where the matches were going to be played, and the museums that they were working on. I think Janouvel was working at the at the now open National Museum of Qatar. Uh, which had this like desert rose shape, uh, shape and that's really interesting. And I was just looking into that, being really fascinated and trying to uh, ask myself, so why, why, why is all this happening, right? So I wrote a paper about the World Cup as uh, soft power dynamics and, and stuff like that. Just to realize soon after that, uh, I mean, that's a fascinating field of, of research and so on, but I think it was, I wasn't finding it very productive for myself. Right. And I started digging a little bit uh, uh, further into into that and, and getting into the, the, the social histories uh, beyond the World Cup and beyond um, the public image of Qatar. And that's how I ended up getting into uh, all the changes, urban, social, economic, political, and cultural that were happening uh, in what you know academics usually call the, the long 60s or the global 60s, right? Sure, yeah. Which I think is the moment when everything changed. Yeah. In, in Qatar, or when all the all the changes were uh, unfolding. That's a really interesting way in, and uh, yeah, I, I can see how that would pique your your curiosity. Um, I guess that then offers a, a a useful segue into this interest in infrastructure more broadly. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and into uh, into the report that you've uh, you've just edited. So this came out of a of a workshop that we we held at Lancaster mm-hmm. um, back in June, I think. June, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. The first time that you came here, there were um, there were huge numbers of of strikes on the trains, and then you came again in December, mm-hmm. and there were huge <laughs> strikes. So um, there's maybe an infrastructural component there, but also I don't think we should ever invite you back to the UK out of a fear that <laughs> there will be yet more strikes. But um, I, I jest, of course, I jest. This was a, a fascinating set of discussions. But tell us, what was the, um, what was the motivation for, for doing this? Because this moves beyond um, a focus just on the Gulf here, and it, it brings in the, the political economy of infrastructure. So maybe the question that I should start with, Javi, is what's the report about? What's the, the, the elevator pitch for the report? <laughs> Yeah, I think the report is about, I think there's a lot of changes in infrastructure and infrastructural projects in the Middle East in general, like from Morocco to Bahrain, which is basically the, the, the territory that the report covers in the, in the different articles. 
And I remember, I mean, there's on the one hand, there's this uh, urban turn or infrastructural turn that uh, Middle East studies and other uh, other fields of research as well are are taking. But also, I remember just reading any newspaper basically, and you got news about the explosion in Beirut. Mm-hmm. Um, you got news about about Neom in in Saudi. You got news about the the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative and how they were, you know, changing port uh, or or investing in in ports in in the UAE or in 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 Morocco or in Greece and and basically all all over the place, right? Yeah. And I guess the headlines were a little bit about uh, you know the 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 dimensions and and uh, and, and uh, how spectacular those those uh, investments uh, are and and infrastructural projects are but i was asking myself what 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 the, how are those projects informative about what's going on politically and economically in and in, in the middle east and that's why i wanted the title of the report and, and the workshop was the political economy uh, of infrastructure in the middle east and north africa because it's. Uh, I guess we're using uh, not just me, but everyone who's writing in, in in the report, using those projects as a source to talk about what's going on politically in the Middle East, but also uh, to see how those infrastructural projects affect the daily lives or uh, the people who live there. That's what I think is really fascinating about what you were doing with this. That it's it's not just about well, for example, who's building this road. It's about what are the implications yeah. of the road being built and the decision mm-hmm. for particular actors to build the road. What's driving that? It's it's looking at infrastructure in in a more nuanced, more complex way than just the actual infrastructure project itself. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was a, a really, really fascinating way of, of doing that. And you set that up really nicely in the um in the introduction. If I just quote here, usually infrastructure is defined as a set of facilities that enable the connection of different spaces. But, and then very quickly, you you seek to expand and refine this, bringing in land, maritime, air transportation, digital infrastructure, heritage, culture, subaltern infrastructure, moving beyond that, that typical, very narrow understanding of, of infrastructure just as the the material factors, I guess, mm-hmm. which I think is really, yeah, really I mean, interesting. It, yeah. So from there, mm-hmm. then, I guess I should ask, what role does, does space have? Because, again, that's something that you set up quite neatly right at the start. Um, so before talking about the, the contributions themselves, I mean, where... It strikes me there's a there's a clear spatial component to this, but for you, where do you see space in in this report? Yeah, I remember precisely at the at the conference we had in in December. Uh, I, I, I'm going to refer to to my colleague uh, uh, Gabriel Garum, who when in, in he he also deals his work also deals with with space and infrastructure yeah. and urban politics and, and so on specifically in Syria but also in other places he was talking about space as the place where uh, politics are inscribed right where mm-hmm. they're written so it's it's kind of the, the, the paper where all the political developments economic regimes 
social regimes as well, uh, divisions along ethnic, religious, uh, sectarian lines, or whatever you want to call it, are actually um, physicalized and, and, and made present in a tangible way, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it's space, but it's also what different regimes of power do with space, what matters so much. And, and that's why those infrastructural projects uh, define a lot of the, of the social dynamics that, that happen uh, globally, but also in a localized uh, way on a day-to-day basis. And that's why I was referring as well to, you know, infrastructure on the one hand as roads and, and, and ports and airports, you know, the most, in the more traditional sense. But also there's been all the scholars that have been talking about, you know, human infrastructure and, and particularly there was a work about uh, African transportation and, and how even people in a way can become infrastructure for other people with different layers of, of, of uh, hierarchy of, of economic power and political power. Also, uh, there's works about uh, or ideas about subaltern infrastructure, so what can be seen and what cannot be seen and how that uh, there's some infrastructure that is beneficial for a certain group of people, but it's also detrimental uh, for another group of people or invisible for uh for one another and, you know, the regimes of uh, invisibilizing uh, certain populations that are uncomfortable for, 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 uh, for certain leaders or groups. And that all happens, you know, we can talk about that in an abstract way, but you can actually walk down the street and see that happening, right, in different places and in different ways. That's really valuable, I think. And that was one of the reasons why we were so keen to do this, because it wasn't just uh, an abstract discussion of of infrastructure or space, but it was allowing us to ask the question about how this affects the lives of, of people, how it plays out in the context of um, social dynamics, societal dynamics, what impact does it have on, on agency, what, what do these projects mean for people across the region, for communal divisions, for relations between rulers yeah. and ruled, rich and poor, um, lots of other, other ways in which the lives of, of people, the everyday, the mundane, but also the, the, more, um, the, the more politically charged, security charged questions about, about life, are, are sort of shaped and that's why I think it was really really important that we did this <laughs> yeah I mean because also you get very different uh, outcomes of, of, of all these things right I guess today in the Middle East but also everywhere in the world we're witnessing uh, a trend in which you know because of digital technologies uh, are becoming even more not, not just widespread but but omnipresent basically everything is counted now and therefore surveillance comes into into place as well everything is measured um that's infrastructure as well and Mm. ultimately that's commodified and that's made like that that can be monetized by by whoever is in charge and that ultimately talks about uh, regimes of power and regimes of or economic regimes more more specifically. Obviously, this plays out in different ways depending, uh, you know, and particularly in the Middle East we have or here in, in Lebanon, specifically where I'm at, you can see that, um, you know, along 
sectarian lines, but also class uh, divisions. The the you know the the difference between those who leave and those who stay here, the diaspora. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a great deal to to explore across the different contexts, across the different um, across the different chapters that you've you've got here. So yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit about these contributions then. Um, we begin with Dean mm-hmm. Sharp, which is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, revolt towards reconstruction in Lebanon. What's Dean trying to do then? Yeah, Dean. I think his his chapter is fascinating, and he's precisely talking about Lebanon, uh, and and asking a question about uh, you know re- reconstruction, right? Mm. Uh, I think he argues, or one of the things he argues is that Lebanon for decades now has been basically in, in perpetual reconstruction, right? But what he's trying to to further ask and, and further research is uh, how did this happen? What problems does, does reconstruction face? Like reconstruction is not just, you know, building back. It has, uh, it's a political act, it's a social act, yeah. and it also reveals uh, different economic regimes. Uh, I mean, there's uh, a part of his article where he talks about uh, Solidarity is, you know, a private but public company in, in Beirut that was trying to rebuild downtown Beirut. And ultimately, that was the, the, the most, you know, neoliberal urban project that um, was basically put in place in, in, or set in motion in, in, in Beirut back then. And where many other urban projects in the Middle East and elsewhere has taken as an, as an example, because ultimately it was very profitable for some. Yeah. Uh, for those who own property in in, in downtown Beirut and whose you know uh, property was destroyed or abandoned because of the war, uh, they there were some swaps between that property and stock uh, values. That uh, I mean, it was it was it was ultimately a way to look into the economic regime that was racing after the 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 war. In Lebanon, and Dean is asking precisely about how those reconstruction efforts, with Solidarity in the nineties, or but but also today after the explosion, what challenges uh, are the Lebanese facing in in terms of uh, reconstruction after the explosion? But with the with the currency crisis, with the sectarian dynamics, you know, there was in, in twenty nineteen these these protests that uh, were basically saying we're Lebanese, all of us. Uh, trying to undermine that sectarian system that it's ultimately really embedded in daily life and, and things are as, as simple as renting an apartment in certain areas um, or getting married or divorced. Uh, right. Maya McDash was talking about that as well in, in her, yeah. um, in her keynote at the conference and in her book, Sectarianism. And Dean is trying to bring all that into the reconstruction efforts and, in Lebanon right now. And he's got this great line that you've you sort of alluded to about reconstruction not being abstract, but it being a political and a social yeah. act. And I think that, that's great. And then we've got, <laughs> yeah. um, the, the second discussion is by Shari Plonsky, titled Man's Material Debris, the Railroad Graveyard. And this is this is fascinating. Shari's work's great. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's really, really yeah. interesting. And... Um, Slightly, um, slightly obscure, focusing on on a railway. <laughs> so, uh, what what's she what's she doing in this in this short contribution? Yeah, Sarah's piece is fascinating, and it 
you know, it's definitely not the piece that you're going to read in your usual policy brief about no, this not. and that. It's a very hands-on experience, uh, very tangible as well. And she's talking about this, you know, there was this railroad uh, or this rail line between, uh, you know, the, the Levant and, and the Arabian Peninsula that was connecting uh, well, Palestine at the time or with the Ottoman Empire and the Hejaz. Um, and there was one city in this in this uh, in the, this um, infrastructural connecting uh, service that was Ma'an in in Jordan or in today's Jordan. Um, that was you know basically a thriving city that was connecting you know a hub between uh, the Levant and the Arabian Peninsula, uh, which today is basically forgotten. It's that that rail line is no no longer in use. Um, Man, uh, which had a very not just economic in terms of you know a, 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 an infrastructure hub or a or a train hub between uh, uh, in, in the Middle East at the time, but also politically, right? The Hashemite Kingdom had a very strong presence there before moving to Oman, and now it's just sitting there, a little bit in the middle of nowhere, too far from Oman, too far from the Aqaba Special Economic Zone, and. But at the same time, so it's still present there and it's visible and, uh, and, and the railroad is right there, right? So Shari is just, uh, she went there to see what was going on with, with, with that piece of infrastructure and, and how uh, being forgotten affects the lives of those who live there. And she, she talks about uh, the city from the perspective of, you know, imperial debris, also how, how Jordan as a nation state Kind of leaving behind or silencing uh, that part of, a, of, of of its history related to the Ottoman Empire and the connections between one place and the other, and but yeah, ultimately, um, how the afterlives of infrastructure or lived infrastructure once it's not used anymore leads to uh, a, a basically a, a massive decrease in the living standards of the, of the population yeah. living there, right? Yeah, exactly. Really, really fascinating. Moving to Egypt then, we've got a, a piece from Ingi Higazi, The State of Mobility Justice in Egypt, 1980 to the Present. And again, this is very, very different, and it highlights the the, the breadth of, of the scholarly inquiry that you've, you've put together in this report. But again, an equally fascinating piece. So what's Ingi doing? Yeah, Ingi, uh, so, I mean, if, if with Chari and, and Dean, we had, like, uh, destruction or... or or debris and how that plays out with society within you, we have uh, how building it can be also destructive in a way, right? She's talking about mostly the, the ring road in, in Cairo, which is, uh, you know, one of these projects that I'm just, I, I'm, I, I ask myself why there's not been way more literature about the ring road, because it's one of those projects that, and, and particularly in, in Cairo, which is a, a beast of a city with massive population, massive yeah. importance, in Egypt and elsewhere, not many people have written about that, but Inji is doing that. And, and she's looking into how building the ring road uh, affected, of course, the, the lives of, of different peoples in, in Cairo, but it also, uh, she also is, is uh, taking these this lenses of uh, mobility justice and how unequal the results of, of, for different peoples were the building of this ring road, right? Uh, 
obviously it benefited those who you know uh, were living in the suburbs it displaced or moved um space dynamics within within Cairo that's when uh, uh Mubarak but also before Mubarak said that as well were building suburbs around Cairo for for in some cases for working class people but usually and and more so and so with Mubarak and now with Sisi uh with uh, you know more more higher classes and 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 projects related to the to the army which has most of the kind of control of of Cairo and, and Egypt in general and she's looking into that how that ring road uh was changing the dynamics of the of daily life of different Cairoans uh of different uh social strata fascinating really really interesting and i i think you're right that it's surprising that there isn't more done on that, given its strategic importance um, mm-hmm. within the, the context of Cairo. Then there's, there's yeah. a, a, a slightly odd piece on, on Bahrain by someone, an obscure chap, <laughs> um, titled Infrastructure and the Fierce City, the Case of Manama. And what's, yeah, what's by, the point by some of that? Simon Mabern, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What am I trying to do here? I'm, I'm I'm curious to hear what you think I'm trying to do and whether I've actually managed to do it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this piece was interesting because it. Uh, and you mentioned now I'm going over the. I have the document in front of me, and I'm <laughs> seeing that you mentioned the the Neom project, which we mentioned before in in, in this talk as well, right? Mm. But you talk about um, you know the protests in in Bahrain and and how uh, using this this concept of the the fierce city house spaces a uh, uh, contentious. Uh, and a contested space in in Bahrain, right? How yeah. uh, the bridge uh, that connects, you know, Bahrain was used during the protests to for the protesters to uh, as, as one of the main spaces of demonstrations and and protests, but also how to tackle those protests. The regime securitized that that space and 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 ultimately turn it into its, its favor by by sending the army and. Reorganizing the city basically to um, to prevent further protests and to to again securitize certain populations and and also in relation you know uh, you mentioned as well the the, the, the Shia dynamic and how it was not such a, a problem but it, was, it eventually was used as a weapon uh, that that all the protesters are Shia even if they were not and therefore. They're all Persian and dispersions everywhere, and how certain plots of land are, you know, um, how the regime was use, using those discursive uh, tools yeah. to ultimately turn space in in their in their own favor and securitize certain populations. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I think that's a good way of of articulating it. And just to add, maybe I've I've drawn heavily on sort of a spatial approach to infrastructure here. Um, yeah, how the the Al Khalifa regime has has used the the cityscape and the infrastructure of the city as a tool within its broader efforts to to regulate life. So, um, slightly different to to others, but again showing the 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 real breadth of of different approaches to these questions that you've you've pulled together so well. Um, one of the the pieces I really really like in this, and I, I like them all, but I, I really like Blanca. And what she's done yeah. with um, with this piece titled "Securing Neoliberalism in the Free Economic Zones of Tangier," and I, mean, I find this this concept of a free economic zone fascinating um, <laughs> and slightly terrifying, I must add. But I think what she's done is really fascinating as well. So, 
Just tell us a little bit about what's going on in this one, please. Yeah, so Blanca is doing amazing research about um, these free economic zones in, in Tanger and Morocco in general, but also uh, in relation to security companies, private security companies, and, and, and how that relates to the sovereignty of, of, of the monarch, right? Yeah. She read here specifically about, about Tanger and, you know, the context is that the Casablanca port is basically over, overused and, and it, it, there's no more that can be done with the, with the port in, in Casablanca. So Morocco started developing this free economic zone in, in Tanger with the port and, and other stuff. And I mean, it's also a global trend. Free economic zones are happening everywhere. It's part of this global capitalist, uh, uh, you know, increasingly monetizing every single thing. Uh, fewer taxes and, 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 and all that. But she's looking about this place out in, in Tanger specifically in relation to, to Morocco. And the thing is that she's, um, it kind of blurries the division between what's private and what's public, right? Because technically this is supposed to be a private area for trade, for, uh, industry and, and, and stuff like that. But in the end, it's just a way to bring jobs and industries away from the city, which uh, and, and bringing private security companies doing some job that, in a way, uh, it's in favor of the state or or securing the, the the sovereignty of the state. But being a private company, it mm-hmm. doesn't relate to the checks and balances that any type of public uh, security, uh, you know, court court would uh, be dealing with. Even if you know Morocco is. is uh, largely a, a, an authoritarian state, but still making all this the, the rule of, of private companies affect the lives of population for many reasons because um, it securitizes and, and it puts away many of, of, of these uh, uh, daily lives and, and social dynamics that were happening in the city. And now they're just put apart in a free economic zone that not everyone and actually very few people can even enter. Mm. I think it's fascinating and raises really important practical and, and sort of theoretical questions about about the mm-hmm. the nature of, of urban politics, the the sort of broader rhythms of, of daily life in these spaces, but also theoretically, what does this mean for for sovereignty and sovereign power if you have yeah. a, a space that's essentially turned over to to private companies? So fascinating mm-hmm. stuff. And then last, but by no means least, we have. Your amazing um, reflections titled Infrastructure and Reconstruction, the UAE and Pope Francis in Mosul. So, Javi, what are you trying to do in this piece that you've rather magnanimously put at the very end of the collection? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so actually this piece originally, I have to, to cite my friend and colleague, Itaso Domingo de la because I remember talking to her over WhatsApp some years ago when the Pope went to, to Mosul and, and mm-hmm. Iraq in, in, in general. And we were a bit like, what, what is the Pope doing in, in Iraq right now? Like why particularly going to Mosul and, and cause we were aware of the, of the UNESCO project and so on. And in everything, everything sounded a bit weird to, to both of us. So that's why I'm, I'm mentioning her because these ideas happened uh, or that I built the P the piece on, um, happened in conversation with her. And she's um, doing great work, really fascinating stuff around right. all mm-hmm. manner of things, but putting people right at the center of, of her line of inquiry. So yeah, yeah, that doesn't surprise exactly. me at all. 
And then we started digging into, uh, you know, who was funding the UNESCO project, Revive the Spirit of, of Mosul, uh, which was largely the UAE. Um, I started digging into the relationship between Pope Francis and uh, Sunni Islam in general, or the authorities of Sunni Islam in general, and that led me to the Sheikh of, of Al-Azhar and the different treaties that were signed between Pope Francis and the Sheikh of, of Al-Azhar in Abu Dhabi. So there was this collusion or convergence of uh, foreign policy interests that they ended up showing as UAE foreign policy interests. And these play out specifically in the space in the heritage space of, of Mosul, and more specifically, uh, which is what this piece looks into, the uh, the, the church square, the, the Anuri mosque as well, and even going more specifically in the in the Anuri square, the Anuri uh, mosque. What we see is um, a project that even some Iraqis have criticized, particularly some Iraqis have criticized, as very Khaliji looking, right? Like yeah. it looks like. A, a transplant from Dubai or, or Abu Dhabi or Doha or the Gulf in general into Iraq, in a, it, which raises questions about when there's destroyed heritage, should we live it the way it was left or rebuild it the way it looked before it was destroyed or rebuild it the way it looked originally or do something else, do something useful for the community. So all these conversations are happening not so much with Iraqis, but within UNESCO or between foreign powers like the UAE or with the Pope, which of course is, is worried about uh, Christians in, 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 in Iraq. But ultimately the problem that this shows is that this infrastructural debate that should be in charge uh, or should be uh, led by, by Iraqis themselves is being designed and defined by uh, largely the UAE. Mm. I think it's a fascinating set of reflections and using the Pope's visit as a means of, of getting into some of these questions is a, is a great idea. Mm -hmm. But again, you, you center Iraqis in, yeah. in the analysis and uh, reminding people that Iraqi agency matters, even if um, sort of external capital tries to, to subsume it in, in other broader um, aspirational visions for what an Iraqi state should look like and Iraqi politics should look like. I think reminding people that <laughs> Iraq is about Iraqis rather than Emiratis or anyone else is, is really key. So I think you've done a, a, a great job there. And the whole report is fascinating. I think it's, it's a real testament to your ability as a scholar and your ability to pull together all these, these great people, leaving aside the, the Bahrain contribution. But um, what do you think, Javi? One final question. What's the, the key takeaway that you'd like people to, to have when, when going through this report? <laughs> I think, you know, despite the differences and, and, and different outcomes and, and uses of, of infrastructure, I think what we see here is that is the centrality of infrastructure and infrastructural projects and how as contested projects and spaces um, they affect the daily lives of, of different peoples, and we can see in those that they're not innocent. Infrastructure is not innocent, and it shows regimes of power, and we have to be aware of, of all this and, and contest it. Um, 
through uh, you know protests or elections or uh, whatever because they define the future mm-hmm. and they define the daily lives of different of different populations i think that's a, a wonderful place to leave it so Javi, thank you so much for your time today thank you so much for thank all you. of your efforts with the report congratulations again and um, good Thank luck you. with your, your research in, in Beirut and wherever else your air miles take you. So thank you thanks so much, Javi. And thanks a lot to all the contributors in the report. This is, you know, would have been possible without their generosity and, and hard work. So thanks a lot to, to them, to you, and to Sepat as well. Thank you. Huge thank you to Javi for his time just now. You can find him on Twitter at J. Guirado. That's at J-G-U-I-R-A-D-O-A. Do give him a follow and please do check out the report, which is available on the CEPAD website, along with the social theory report. And also, if you've not seen it, a new video that we have produced looking at the question of what is sectarianism. And we'll have a, a discussion about that in the coming weeks. Until then... Huge thank you to you for listening. Do take care of yourselves. Stay safe. Until next time.